All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada and Mahamudra Shivaraya. Krishna Prasthani Kutulai Sri Mati Bhakti Mata Swami Namaste Saraswati Devi Thorvani Pachamadu Sisi Sisi Pachamadu Sitami. Bandai Hong Sri Guru Sri Yutana Padipamam Sri Guru Vaishnavashta Sri Rupam Sangrajatam Sahadanaya Vadamatam Vitamis Tamasaji Namasan Paritam Sajjutam. Adijana Saita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahadana Alita Sri Vishakam Vitamascha. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Such being the case, this ritualistic endeavor of yours should be clearly explained to me. Is it a ceremony based on scriptural injunction or simply a custom of ordinary society? So that ends Krishna's inquiry. And text 8, Nandamarsh finally replies. Sri Nanda Uvacha, Parjanyo Bhagavan Indro, Meghas Tasyat Mamurtayaha, Te Bivarshanti Bhutanam Prinanam Jivanam Paya. Nandamarsh replied, The great Lord Indra is the controller of the rain. The clouds are his personal representatives. The word therefore is Atma Murtaiha. What does Murti mean? DT or form. And Atma means self. So Megha Tasya Atma Murtaya. Megha is the clouds. So the clouds of him, they are his form. And they directly provide rainwater, which gives happiness and sustenance to all creatures. Payaha, like milk. He's comparing it. Jivanam payaha. They give life like milk. Purport. Without clean rainwater, the earth could not possibly provide food or drink for anyone, nor could there be cleanliness. Thus, it would be difficult to overestimate the value of rain. Okay, text 9. Tamtatavayam anyecha Varmucham patimishwaram Varmutam Patti Vishwaram, Varmutam Patti Vishwaram, 
By the way, we performing bhakti yoga, we do not follow the yoga letter. We should not be following the yoga letter, although we might be trying to do that. That we will discuss Krishna willing in the manner in the middle of April. So Kriya Yoga or Karma Yoga means that you're performing the pious activities given in the scripture, but your purpose for doing them is different. The purpose of Karma Kanda or the purpose of pious activities is what? Why do people do pious activities? Go to heaven. To go to heaven. Or to be in heaven in this life. Or both. So people engage in pious activities. I mean, most people. The vast majority of people try to be a good person according to their own estimation, right? And how many, what percentage of people wake up in the morning and say, I want to be evil? I mean, there's some. But it's, it's unusual. The average person, I'm sure, if you took a poll, if you went out there and took a poll of the people walking around Oxford Street and said, do you consider yourself a good person? Or do you try to be a good person? Do you try to do good things? Do you try to avoid doing bad things? I'm sure the majority of people would say, of course. And if you said, what's your purpose? Why do you try to be a good person? What would most people say? So I can be what? Happy. Right? And if they believe in a next life, if they believe that this life isn't everything, they'll say also, so I can be happy after death. So I can get salvation or heaven or whatever they understand as a reward after death. So they're looking for a reward in this life and they're looking for a reward after this life. I mean, just like when you're in school and you do your studies so you can get good grades. You're not necessarily doing your study because you really care about the War of the Roses or you really care about the geography of Tibet or you really care about the quadratic formula. You're, you're doing your studies so you can get a reward, so you can get a good grade, and so you can get a good job, and you can make money, and you can have some status in society. Isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. So that's the general, that's what we call fruitive work. You're working for some fruit. You're planting a tree because you want to eat the fruit. And you're taking care of the tree so that you'll get tasty, healthy fruit, and you'll be happy. So this is the main reason why people work. I mean, even people who do sinful work do it to be happy. Uh, they're also looking for heaven, uh, but that's not going to quite work. So the beginning of the yoga ladder is that you do good work, but even that good work has to be according to the scriptures, or also it won't work. If you try to, you know, if you try to be a good citizen so you can live in peace in the state, but you make up your own laws, that's it's not going to function. You, know, you can't go to school and study your own things. You have to study what the teacher assigns. You can't make up your own lessons. You know, you can try, but it, it won't work. That's not what's going to give you good grades. You have to study what the teacher's assigned. You can't work at a job and do work that's, you know, for your competitor or do work, just work that you want to do and give it to your boss. Well, I thought you'd be happy with this. You have to do the work for the company. I mean, either it has to be assigned by the boss or it's got to be approved by the boss. This isn't just reasonable. Now, if you're married to somebody, you have to do what they like. You can't just do what you imagine they like or what you think they ought to like. Well, you're supposed to like this, but I don't like it. You know, I one time had somebody who was trying to serve me like that. She was giving me things that she thought I was supposed to like, but I didn't like them. And I would say, but I don't like these things. I like different things. And she says, but I want you to like these things. But I don't. <laughs> and she was trying to force me <laughs> to, to, to take the things that she wanted to give me. I mean, even to the point I, I got sick and I was eating just rice, yogurt, and bananas. And I said, just give me rice, yogurt, and bananas. And she brought me pakoras. I said, I don't want to eat pakoras. I'm sick. She said, but I want to see you eating pakoras. I said, I'm not eating for you to enjoy my eating. <laughs> I'm eating for me to enjoy my eating. <laughs> so this is just, should be common sense. So that's the idea of karmakanda, that one follows the scriptures. But one's working for heaven. Now that's a lot better than not following the scriptures. Much better. It's a good start. But karma yoga or kriya yoga is quite different. One is still doing the same activities, but one's doing them for a different purpose. 
One's doing them for purification. Uh, one could say, instead of doing them for swarga, one's doing them for moksha. One's doing them for liberation. One's doing them to get free of material desires. You could say, well, how do the same activities which bring you good material fruits also bring you liberation? Uh, but that's just a question of to, for whom you're doing them. So instead of doing them for your, your materially conceived self, you're doing them for your real self. That's basically the difference. You're doing them for the benefit of your real self. And you can understand this either as directly yourself or you can understand it as a Brahman or Paramatma manifestation of the Supreme. But the aim is liberation, the aim of purification. So that's the first step on the yoga ladder. And one cannot start that step unless one is already pious. So that is Kriya Yoga. So Krishna is assuming here that Nanda Maharaj is performing Kriya Yoga or Karma Yoga and not Karma Kanda. That being an elevated soul, he's addressed his father as a sadhu previously, right? And he said, you're a sadhu, you shouldn't see any difference between friends, enemies, and neutral parties. Well, somebody in Karma Kanda definitely sees the difference between friends, enemies, and neutral parties. They're, they're in a very dualistic mentality. Whereas someone in Karma Yoga or Kriya Yoga, they're trying to give up this dualistic mentality. So Krishna is dealing with his father as if he's functioning on a higher platform than a materialistic person. And he's saying here, uh, is it in the scripture? Or is this just some custom? So whatever results we want to get, and hopefully our results, the results we're trying to get in the Krishna consciousness movement, hopefully, are beyond that of the yoga ladder. Hopefully the result that we're trying to get. Well, some of us, frankly, may be doing bhakti yoga for the view of material enjoyment, and some of us may be doing bhakti yoga for liberation. In fact, I could say that many of us probably have those desires mixed in our heart, honestly. And that's sad, <laughs> but that, that is probably the honest truth. Although Rupa Goswami compares such desires to witches that suck away one's energy. But the goal of bhakti yoga is supposed to be, from the beginning, love. That what we're looking for is not our own salvation. We're not looking for our own heaven. We're looking to have an exchange of love. And in an exchange of love, there's no personal consideration like that. I mean, even, even material love, which is not really love, but even material love, uh, one feels like that, at least for a while. It doesn't tend to last, but at least for some time, when you love somebody. And that's true whether it's romantic love between a man and a woman, whether it's love for a child, whether it's love for a very good friend, or even love for one's country, or, or love for a business, or love for some sort of cause. There's at least some time in a feeling of love where one's willing to sacrifice anything for the person or the cause that one loves. And I hope that all of us have experienced that in this life for somebody. And we know what that feels like. You know, and even among the animals, the mother animal of, of many species, not of all species, but the mother animal, sometimes the father animal, they're, they're willing to sacrifice their life for the sake of their offspring. And sometimes they do. You know, they're willing to fight with a much stronger, more formidable foe to defend their offspring. Or I remember reading about you know, the elephants have a very close bond and how this one baby elephant was dying. And so the mother stayed with her baby, even though it was in an area without food or water, and the rest of the herd had to move on. And the mother stayed with the baby until the baby died. The mother also died because she wasn't able to get out of there fast enough to get anything to eat. So this is not uncommon well, it's not at all uncommon, even among the animals. And of course, such things happen among humans. There was a story recently in the news that there was a tornado in America, and one mother, she put her body over the bodies of her children. And her children were unharmed, but the debris fell on her. And so it, it damaged her legs. So one leg had to be amputated at the ankle, and the other leg had to be amputated at the knee. And so she lost both of her feet for the sake of saving her children. And, you know, she came out of the hospital and she was saying, I feel wonderful. I feel happy. You know, I feel satisfied. 
So this idea that I'm that it's a wonderful thing to sacrifice my own happiness, or someone comes, fights a war for their country, you know, and they end up in a wheelchair, or so many things. But they say I, I'm proud that I gave my my legs or my arms or you know half my face or whatever for the sake of my country. So that's there. Uh, we have some little experience of this. So the highest place to put our love, of course, is to Krishna. And giving our love to Krishna, it's not temporary. You know, if you love some man or some woman, generally, generally, after, you know, about a year, year and a half, that, that intensity of, of giving wears off you. You know, and you're not, you're no longer willing to jump off a cliff for the person. And you start actually seeing their faults. And you start thinking, you know, why don't you pick up your socks here? And, you always have to make that funny noise with your mouth, or whatever it is, you know. And you start noticing those things, and the other person starts being irritating. Or I'm the same with children, you know. When a child's first born, and you're just meditating on them, and you're willing to give anything for them, and then after a while, you're like, "All oh, these kids are driving me crazy." You know? So generally, our our feeling that that feeling of full surrender and love in this world it doesn't it doesn't stay. I mean, there may be some unusual relationships. Like it's explained in the Bhagavatam that Priyavrata, Maharaj Priyavrata and his wife, their love grew every day by four times. The same with Aniruddha and Usha. You know, we've met a few people who have such experiences, uh, but generally that's not the case. But our love with Krishna keeps increasing. It keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. And if you give everything to Krishna, he gives back millions and millions and millions of times. It's not that, you know, out of love for Krishna, you lose your foot and then you're footless forever. It's not like that. But whatever one gives to Krishna, he repays billions of times forever. So that should be the goal of us in bhakti. That should be our goal. But even if our goal right now is still karma misha bhakti or gana misha bhakti, we're out and out karma or out and out again. Uh, Still, to achieve one's goal, to achieve any goal, one has to follow the shastra. You have to follow the regulations. Shastra gives instructions for how to achieve heaven in this life and the next life. Shastra gives instructions for how to achieve liberation, and Shastra gives instructions for how to achieve bhakti. If you don't follow the Shastra, you're not going to achieve anything you want. Again, this is just pretty simple. If I don't follow the map, I don't get anywhere. That's just the way it is. We have one friend here in London who just, uh, she's been going to America for a long time, but this trip she got stopped at the border. She got put in a jail cell for 13 hours and then she got sent back to the UK. Why? Because she didn't follow the rules. They said, what are you going to do here? Oh, I'm going to do some spiritual service. Do you get anything for it? Yeah, I get donations. Okay, that's employment. Get out of here. And they sent her back. You have to follow the rules. You can't make up your own rules. Why do we think we can make up our own rules with the universe? We can't make up our rules with the materialistic government. We can't even make up our own rules with the relationship with another person in this world. You know, with a business, with a school, even in our personal relationships. If I want to please someone, I have to ask them. So I have to follow the scriptures. And realize that ultimately everything is being done by a person. That just because we're following the scriptures doesn't mean that it's impersonal. Scriptures are written by a person or persons, about persons, and about personal relationships. And whatever one's goal, even if one's goal is is heaven and even if one's goal is liberation, that's awarded by a person. It's all about relationships with the person. There's nothing impersonal. And therefore, our relationship with that person should be acknowledging their qualities, being grateful to them, dealing with them as a person, not just following the rules, thinking, well, if I follow the rules, they're obliged to give me. Right? So Nanamars hasn't answered these first two about scripture and custom. He has answered the second two about person and gratitude. He's talking very clearly about how Indra is a person. He says here, Mega Tasyatma Murta. Murtaya means form. 
that Indra has a form. And he's saying the clouds are like, they're like his very form. They're like, they're extensions of his form. And he's giving us sustenance like, is the rain is sustenance like milk. He's making it very personal. And he's talking about how Indra is nourishing like a mother. Indra's giving rains like a mother gives milk. And there he, then he compares Indra to a father. Tatretasa. Retasa means semina. That his rains are like his providing life. Right? Just like the father injects the life into the womb of the mother and the child is born. So the rains are like giving life to allow the seeds to grow. Uh, you know, without rains, how are we going to live? Uh, purport here, saying the earth couldn't provide food or drink, nor could there be cleanliness. Without cleanliness, there would be disease. Without water, you know, we can live for about 40 days without food. You can only live maybe utmost 10 days without water. And food without water, you can't produce food without water. You can't prepare food without water. No, what do you, even a potato is, I think, what, 70, 80% water. How are you going to do anything without water? So Indra's like the mother and the father. And he's, he's a person. He's, he's not just a concept. You know, in modern society, first of all, they don't follow the scriptures. They try to be good people and achieve heaven on earth without following scriptures, isn't it? But we're just going to make up our own rules. Well, let's see, there's, looks like there's too many people on the planet for us to enjoy the Earth's resources, so let's kill some of them. You know, let's kill some of them. Let's widely distribute contraceptives and abortions and, and kill them. And, you know, mostly we'll, we'll hope that we'll kill the children, especially of the poor, uneducated families who really didn't want to have the children anyway, couldn't take proper care of them anyway, and probably the people who are actually educated and wealthy, they'll have children that they wanted. Of course, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> you know, in 1960 in America, 4% of children were illegitimate, and now 40% of children are illegitimate. So since legalizing abortion, the illegitimacy rate has increased by 10 They're not following scripture. And as the abundance of the world increased, the population is now decreasing in many parts of the world. Isn't it? It's decreasing so much that a lot of the European governments are paying people to have children. In some European countries, if you have three or four children, you don't have to work for the rest of your life. Because they're so desperate to have population. So, but the population's decreasing. Does that mean now there's jobs for everybody? And there's prosperity for everybody? No, there's an economic collapse. They don't know what they're doing. You know, there was the green revolution through pesticides and fertilizers that's now damaged the land made people dependent on artificial crops and artificial chemicals. And people can't sustain it. And there's now, you know, practically an epidemic of suicide in a lot of these third world countries from farmers who can't repay their debt. People who live for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years on the land, now they can't repay their debt because of the green revolution. So if you don't follow scripture, you make a mess of things. Oh, that's scripture, that's for primitive people. Superstitious people, all these funny things in the scripture. Like some rain god. We know better than that there's a rain god. There's no rain god up there. We've been up there in our airplanes and we haven't seen him. <laughs> so we're just going to make up our own system. Well, sorry to tell you, it hasn't worked. If you're going to judge things by the results, all you've done is make a mess of things. You know, so first one has to follow scripture. And then remember, everything's done by a person. The scripture is trying to have us, to get us to have a relationship with the person. And what relationship with the person? Gratitude, appreciation. And that's exemplified by yagya. So therefore, uh, Nandamarja is saying, 
we have to do this yajnas in today's yajnante. We have to do this worship, kratubihi, by fire sacrifices. You have to pay for things. What's the essence of the scripture? You have to pay. It's not free. In the spiritual world, everything's free. You don't have to pay for anything. That's because everyone uses things nicely. But this world, you have to pay. So if you want to do karmakanda, if you want to enjoy this world and do heaven, you have to pay. If you want to do kanda, if you want to do dhyanakanda, if you want to do even bhakti yoga, you've got to engage in yajna. You've got to engage in sacrifice. Now the mood is different in the different stages. If one is wants, just wants to enjoy heaven, then one is paying just officially. Like you go to a shop and you just give your money and you, at least today, you probably don't even know the shopkeeper. You know, in an old society, you knew the shopkeeper. Just like we had some clothes made in Vrindavan by our tailor Bapu. So, you know, we know Bapu. We know his name. And he sees us, and he gets excited when he sees us. Oh, here's my good customers. How <coughs> we have some relationship with him. Whereas if I go to a shop here and buy something, I don't, know I don't even know their name, I don't know anything about them. They don't care about me, I don't care about them. When I go next time, somebody else will be at the cash register. Right? People are much more likely to steal from these big companies than from a little shop. You know that, right? Shoplifting. People are much more likely to do shoplifting from some big Tesco than they are from a little mom and pa shop if they know the people. But karmakanda is, it's official. I'm just, I'm paying my money. I'm not, I'm not going to the shop because I want to get to know the shopkeeper. I'm going to the shop to pay my money, even if I'm nice to the shopkeeper. It's just for the purpose of getting my goods. And then karma yoga is, I'm paying my money to get purified. I'm not trying to enjoy something. I realize I need things in this world. I realize I have material desires but I'm trying to do them in such a way for purification. And my focus becomes much more on sacrifice. In jnana karma, jnana yoga rather, jnana kanda, one's actually not enjoying at all. One is just sacrificing. One is taking pleasure purely in the sacrifice. One is detached, as Krishna says in the sixth chapter, in the beginning of yoga work is said to be the means at the higher stage, cessation of material activities is said to be the means one stops acting in this world. Jnana uh, yoga and dhyana yoga is most people's idea of spirituality. You leave the world, you go to a monastery, like there's this monastery in France that one devotee showed me a, a little video of in Radhadesh where these monks don't talk, except on Sunday. On Sunday they go outside the walls and they talk, and they laugh. But every other day they don't talk at all. The only thing they say are their prayers and they just study. That's all. So that's jnana yoga. Looking for salvation, for purification, by leaving the world, basically living as a sannyasi or maybe a manaprastha, and just engaging in study, just sacrifice, just only sacrifice. And the jnana yoga, the jnana yogi also is engaged in personal meditation, also just sacrifice. One in dhyana yoga often practically stops breathing and eating. Practically everything is stopped and just engage in sacrifice. Of course, if one is actually in jnana yoga or jnana yoga, that sacrifice is very blissful. One is finding actual much more pleasure in the sacrifice than in taking. Why is that? Because the essence of our sanatan dharma is that we are jivara sarvapaya krishnara nitya dasa. What does a das do? A das gives. <laughs> a servant gives. And so in the spiritual world, we naturally give. Therefore, there's no need of payment. But in this material world, we naturally want to take. So therefore, the scriptures are advising payment. In bhakti yoga, we're giving out of love. Now, of course, in the beginning stages of bhakti yoga, we may be giving for other reasons. Uh, but the idea is that we're giving just simply out of love, without asking anything in return. And that giving also becomes the very source of our happiness. Therefore, the devotees, when, they, when Krishna says, what do you want? They say, I just want to think of you. I just want to serve you. I just, want, I just want to give to you because giving to Krishna 
is so intensely enjoyable. It's much more intensely enjoyable of just the sacrifice of knowledge or the sacrifice of meditation or the sacrifice for some fruitive activities. So even on the beginning stages of karma yoga, or even in karma kanda, there's supposed to be some attitude of gratitude. There's supposed to be some sense that I'm getting things from God, I'm getting things from the demigods, and therefore I have to I have some gratitude. I have to pay for it. I have to give something back. If you're not even a karmakanda and you're not paying, then what are you doing? You're stealing. And stealing is based on what feeling? Greed. Greed and? Not just greed. Envy. Envy. I can pay for things out of greed. But if I'm stealing, I have to have envy. I have to want something that doesn't belong to me, right? And I think it's mine. It, doesn't, it shouldn't be yours. It should be mine. It should belong to me. And envy to the point that I'm willing to take it. So that's sinful activities. So if we want to get good results, we have to do things according to the Shastra in relationship to persons in gratitude. So if we think about what results we desire, and, and by the way, we should be honest. It's just reading in the 17th chapter of First Canto text. Where Prabhupada was saying in the purport that the essence of all religion is truthfulness. What an incredible statement. And he said, the essence of how you please Krishna is through truthfulness. <coughs> Amazing statement. Ultimate truthfulness is knowing Jivara Swarapaya Krishna Nichidasa. I'm a little servant of Krishna, and my relationship with Krishna is loving. That's the ultimate truth. Uh, but a beginning truth may be, I'm a very fallen conditioned soul and I'd really like a nice car and a beautiful maid and some nice clothes and a lot of money. And yeah, I'd like to love you, Krishna, too, but I really want all those things also. And I want everybody to like me and I want everyone to think I'm intelligent and I want everyone to think I'm this and that and I want name and fame within this world and I want power and I want, and I want all those things. Krishna, I'm really sorry, but that's how I feel right now. So that may be the beginning of truthfulness. Or one may say, Krishna, what I really would like right now, I'm just so tired of suffering. My body has so many diseases, it doesn't work properly, and my wife divorced me, and my children don't love me anymore, and my boss fired me, and life is miserable, and the raining outside, and I just want to be finished with all this suffering. Krishna, I'm sorry, I know I should ask you for that, and I should ask you for love, but that's what I want. <laughs> so, even if that's what we want, it's far better to be truthful and be honest. So, whatever I want, because Krishna is very interesting, whether you have sarvakama or mokshakama or akarma. Yeah, still, if you go to Krishna, one will get whatever one wants millions and millions and millions of times more. And Krishna will ultimately... Uh, as Prabhupada said, drag the fool to his lotus feet, even if one is starting with impure desires. One should be truthful about one, what, what one wants, at least with Krishna. You don't have to be truthful with all the other devotees, if you don't want to. To the other devotees, you can pretend that you only want love of God. <laughs> uh, but at least to Krishna. And to yourself, you should be honest what you want. And then, how are we going to get it? We're going to get it by following the scriptures. We cannot make up our own process. It's become very common nowadays in ISKCON, I'm sorry to say this, but I, I think it's my duty to say this, that we're no longer so particular about whether or not it's in the Shastra. You know, people tell all kinds of stories, and you say, oh, my dear devotee, where's that story from? Uh, I heard it from some villager, you know. I heard it somewhere. And just yesterday, one of the devotees here said to me, oh, so-and-so person told me such-and-such such story. And I said, well, did you ask him where it came from? Yeah, I asked him where it came from. He said, oh, I heard it somewhere. You know, so don't repeat things that we heard somewhere. Or we make up rules. You know, we make up stories. Even I have seen publications printed by ISKCON entities of stories without where they're from. Just a bunch of stories. And no references. What scriptures is this from? And I went to the person who published the book. 
I said, my dear person who published the book, <laughs> where are your stories from? And the person who published the book said, oh, well, we list some references in the back. I said, but which stories from which reference? Oh, I don't know. Some of them I just heard from people in the Holy Dome. Oh, okay. And published in Iskand's name and distributed in Iskand's name. I went to some people on the BBT and I said, what's happening? They said, well, it's not a BBT book. I said, can you say anything to them? So it was published with Iskand's money and they said, oh, we can't get involved. And so we should be careful. We're processes. You know, we make up processes in the Hare Krishna movement. So the one I'm really thinking about writing about now is women offering dandavats. Because I just was told by a friend of mine in one temple that she was told if she offered dandavats, they'd throw her out of the temple. Now that's interesting because in the scripture, women are offering dandavats, and Prabhupada personally directly told the women to offer dandavats, and we all did so. And then somebody said, it's one Indian village, they say, you know, so whatever. And then we start some new rule. And we have, you know, a number of funny rules in this country. Where did they come from? Nobody knows. Can you trace them out? Did Prabhupada ever say that? Did an Acharya ever say that? Is it in the, is it in the Shastra? Or maybe it, Prabhupada said something to one person one time, and then it became the general rule for Iskhan, even though it's never in his purports, and it's nowhere in his lectures. Maybe Prabhupada said it in one letter to one person, or one conversation to one person, and all of a sudden it becomes, this is the rule for Iskhan. Be careful, we should be following the Shastra. I mean, even if we're a rascal and we're not following the Shastra, we should at least know what we're not following, if that makes any sense. <laughs> you at least we should know, know what the rules are, even if we don't do all of them perfectly. Otherwise, you know, you can, if, we, if we don't have that, if we're not based on Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, then. <clears throat> What's the difference between us and time? We'll become like all these other religions that make up their own rules. Or change them, or whatever. You know, oh, now we've decided that society's changed, and therefore we have to allow this, and we have to allow that. This is happening. Is it not happening? Right? So we should be very, very careful. I mean, at least for our, our own personal selves, everything should be Guru Sadhu should be able to support it, not just do things because it's customary. This is one of Krishna's main questions. My dear father, is this just some local custom, or is it in the Shastra? Where is it from? And then we should remember that the purpose of Guru Sadhu and Shastra is to connect us with a person, ultimately with the person Krishna, with the person Radharani, with the person Gornitai, with the person Srila Prabhupada, with the person Narada Muni, with the person Srila Vyasadeva, with the person Sukadeva Goswami, with the person Krishna Das Kaviraj. It's meant to connect us with a person. This is not a mechanical process. Even in Karmakanda, it's not a mechanical process. Even in Jnana Karma, it's not a mechanical process. There has to be some little bit of There has to be a relationship with the person. Because there is a relationship with the person. Because there are people running everything. How do we like it when people don't deal with us like we're a person? It's terrible. Well, if someone deals with us like we're just some sort of machine. Last time when I went to Ireland, so I, have, I, have a, I already have two extensions in my passport. If I, if I, I can't get any more extensions. Like my passport's big, it's really fat. And if I want to add any more pages, I have to get a new passport. The U.S. government only allowed two extensions of pages. And they used to give you extensions for free, now they charge you $80 for extension. So I already have two extensions, I can't get any more. And so I, I always ask when I enter a, or leave a country, would you please stamp up in the corner? You know, give me as much room on the page for stamps as, as, as possible. So the folks in Ireland have a really big stamp. <laughs> of all the stamps I have in my passport, the Irish stamp is the biggest. Not quite sure why. It's a rather small country, but anyway, and most people and most people think it's part of the UK, even which really disturbs them. They get really offended. But anyway, it's this really big stamp. It takes up about a third of a page, whereas most stamps take up maybe an eighth of a page. And so I was going to Ireland, and I said my usual thing to the immigration officer. As soon as I got there, I said, "Oh, could you please make 
make sure that you stamp it close to the corner as possible. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not obligated to stamp it at all. And I thought, ooh. He said, why are you assuming that I'm going to let you into the country? I thought, ooh. <laughs> I didn't deal with him like he was a person. And he really made me suffer, I'll tell you. It was the hardest time I've ever had entry in the country. And I went into <laughs> Why are you going? I'm going to see some friends. You know, what friends? Um, his name is Shinananda. That doesn't sound like an Irish name. <laughs> I said, well, he is Irish. What's his Irish name? I don't know. <laughs> Ouch. He said, well, since Charlie's staying for three days, I'll let you in. I had to show my return ticket that I was leaving Ireland in three days. But the point is, I didn't deal with him like he was a person. I dealt with him like he was an automatic stamping machine. And he became offended. So when we're following the scriptures, we're always dealing with the person. When we offer our food, Krishna is not a karma eradicating machine. You know, it's not, I put my food on the conveyor belt and it goes through the karma eradicating machine and it comes out as, you know. We should offer food the way Rupa Goswami says. Rupa Goswami says, my dear Lord, just like you accepted the rice of Sudama, and just like you accepted the food cooked by the Yagi Brahmanas, and just as you accept the food cooked by the gopis, you please accept us all. Well, that's the mood. You know, we're not just dressing the deities to get them dressed by the clock because the curtains are going to open and after we have to get it done. You know, one of my god sisters told me that one time when she was dressing Radharani, I don't know, maybe in New York, she said she looked up at, at the face of the deity and it was right around. And then she just immediately looked away and thought, I get better real with my dressing. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, that Krishna is trying to reciprocate with us. He wants, as Prabhupada said, that the deity is wanting to talk to us. He's just one waiting for when we want to talk to him and we want to hear him. Now, everything we're doing, we're dealing with a person, when we're chanting Japa, when we're chanting in the Kirtan, when we're touching these books. This book is the incarnation of Krishna. And everything we have, we're dealing with the person. And we should see that person's hand in every part of our life. And deal with that person in a mood of giving. Because frankly, that person is giving so much to us, we can't even estimate how much Krishna is giving to us. It's beyond even, you know, we could talk about it forever, and we would never reach the limit of how much Krishna is giving to us. And, and, and we're fallen. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm fallen. I'm full of envy and I'm full of lust and I'm full of greed and I'm full of anger and I'm full of hatred. It's very embarrassing. You know, it's, it's actually really embarrassing. Whenever Krishna gives me a little glimpse inside my heart and I see what's there, I become very embarrassed. But still, he's taking care of me. You know, he takes, and he takes care of me pretty nicely, too. He gives me flowers and rasgulas. <laughs> you know, he really is. What materialistic government would give prisoners flowers and ask <laughs> Somebody's so kind. I mean, would we do that to our enemy? Somebody was envious. I have people who are envious. I mean, do all people who are envious here? People who want to hurt us and say bad things about us. Would you give them flowers and ask Probably not. And I'm still envious of Krishna. Even though I'm trying to be Krishna's devotee, I may have tried, at least a little bit sometimes. And I genuinely, sincerely try. But still, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really a demon. And still Krishna takes care of me. He's happy that I make any little effort. You know, I mean, we may think, well, it's a big effort. Yes, I should be following the principles, and I chant my rounds every day, and I chant my diary, and I go to the morning program, and I take care of the deities, and I read. And we may think, oh, it's a really big deal. But it isn't. We're just trying to become an honest citizen. You know, if a criminal wants to become an honest citizen, that's not a big deal. That's just normal. <laughs> it's not like, not like some great credit. So if I'm trying just to get back to my original position, that's not some great credit on my part. It's not some big offering. It's nothing, actually. So with such gratitude, and everything should be, everything we do for Krishna should be with love and gratitude for him as a person. And it's easy. He's such a lovable person. So this is 
the, what Krishna is trying to bring Nandamarsh to, and of course he's trying to bring Nandamarsh to following the ultimate Shastra, which is that everything should be offered to Krishna, and then all the demigods are naturally satisfied, that one doesn't need to sacrifice to the demigods independently, and to give ultimately just to Krishna. So thank you very much. Questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions? Yes. Oh, microphone. Thank you. So, Thank you very much for the very analytic point. On the last point, that uh, we also have to realize in the same way as that officer said, Krishna is not obligated to give, give any of that. And on the previous point, you, you mentioned um, about uh, water and how people are not aware that uh, water or any facility we have in this world comes from a person. Uh, recently, I've noticed these big posters all over town um, saying that uh, we have been in a uh, and drop things out and dry out for two years now and please make sure you save water and that's from one of the water providing companies but behind it part of the uh, message is that they don't realize it comes from a person obviously the second is we are in control of it and the third is ultimate, the, their ultimate reason is they are in for it for the business which is money so it's uh, uh, there is talk about uh, all these prices going up very soon again <coughs> They are saying, you be careful because we are raising the price anyway and you depend on us. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, not just total denial of the fact that it comes from a person and we should respect that person and act respectfully, but we are in charge and we control everything. And, uh, they don't even respect the water. Mm. Yeah. But to speak of the person who supplies the water, they don't even respect the water itself. And I, I just see it as uh, because of this attitude. Um, and the situation just escalates. Yes, yes, everything gets worse. But they don't even respect the water. Why do you speak of Indra? Or why do you speak of Krishna? They don't respect the water. They don't treat water itself as a valuable resource. Interesting. And the irony of the situation is that England is this fair green island, right. is famous for lots of rain. Yes. So this is, you know, if everything is is evolving line. The economy is collapsing. There is no there's shortage of water in a country which is famous for uh, for water. <laughs> well, like we said the other day, the deserts of the world, most of them. Not there always been some deserts, but the deserts of the world, most of them used to be lush forests. There's lots of you know geological evidence. The Sahara, the Australian outback, the great deserts of the world. It used to be desert. There used to be more moderate climate over the whole planet, even at the poles. Used to be arable land all over the planet. I mean, that's just modern scientific evidence, not just Shastra. Any other comments? Yes. <coughs> Just a question on the quotes uh, about stories. Um, I mean, is it like uh, like sometimes? I mean, people we just heard this is from Shastra about the way the water is being used. But is it is it that we can't sometimes use stories without really understanding where they came from? That there's a well, not stories about Krishna. Story? Okay, so that's a clarification. Yes, that's of course. Just like. Um, Shiva Prabhupada told metaphorical stories. Narayani tells men, you know, Narayani makes up metaphors. He's Narayani is the making up metaphors king. Bhakti Sananda Saraswati also made up a lot of metaphors. There's even a book of the metaphors and analogies of Bhakti Sananda Saraswati. There's also a book one devotee published. I don't think it's like printed, printed, of uh, Prabhupada's analogies and stories. So it's one of the most powerful ways of preaching is through allegories and metaphors. But I'm talking about stories of Leela, you know, stories about, thank you for clarifying that, stories about Radharani, stories about Krishna, stories about, you know, this or that personality. Just, you know, 
I heard some stories from some villager about Krishna did this here, so therefore I'm going to repeat that to everybody. So to make sure. So stories, uh, stories about divine personalities, uh, rules. Obviously, a temple has to have some rules that aren't in the Shastra. We should be very careful about rules that apply specifically to the process of bhakti. You know, you may have to have a rule in the temple about where people put their shoes. So there's nothing in the Shastra about what part of the building you have to put your shoes in. There might be. There might be. <laughs> there you go. Practicality might be something different. But as far as other, other kinds of things, not making up rules. It's, it's, it happens, I'm sorry to say. There's been a number of times in our movement when we've made up rules about how the Lord should be worshipped and how we should execute the process of bhakti. We make up something that's... We make up an unnecessary prohibition or we get rid of something. I mean, the, the head of the... You know, the deity worship people, they have to constantly be on the lookout for this sort of thing. Or, or even... Even the, you know, what a lot of devotees are taught, that you have to chant the Panchatatra Mahamantra between each round, that's a made-up rule. I mean, you can do that if you want to, but it's not a rule. That's nowhere in Guru Sada Vajastra. Prabhupada says to chant the Panchatatra Mantra before the Hare Krishna Mantra. But does that mean that before then you could do it before we be too? <laughs> yeah, that would be a little interesting. And Prabhupada was talking about kirtan. And Prabhupada never, when Prabhupada taught us how to chant japa, and you can see the videos and listen to the audio tapes, he never does. And you can say, well, what's the harm? There's no harm if people do things, but there is a harm with making up rules and saying they're rules when they're not rules. I mean, one harm of that is that there are some other members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya who says, see, it's kind of concocts things. They're not a bona fide organization. As to if you can make up, you know, if you can make up a rule about chanting Java, what can you not make up a rule about? In fact, you know, one of the most sacred things that we do, we make up a new rule about that. Make up a, or, or people say you have to keep your beads inside the bead bag. How many photographs and videos have you seen of Shiva Prabhupada where he's chanting Java on his beads outside his bead bag? But I've heard that you have to keep your beads inside. Or you can never let your bead bag touch the floor. I mean, now people get bead bags with Krishna on it, and that's something else, you know. Krishna employee. But you can see videos of Srila Prabhupada offering dandavats in front of the deity, and his bead bag is touching the floor. If I was at one temple, you're not going to believe this. You're really not going to believe this. On the, on the notice board, there was a photograph of Srila Prabhupada offering dandavats in front of the deities with his bead bag on the side and his bead bag was touching the floor. And on that very same notice board, it said, make sure your bead bag never touches the floor. <laughs> and I was just looking at that and thinking, this is really humorous. <laughs> so, no, not to, not to make up rules. Or if you, you see photographs of Prabhupada chanting Gayatri with his hand uncovered, don't you? I personally got the guy who wanted to for Shiva Prabhupada. He never told me how to cover my hand. I mean, if you want to cover your hand, cover your hand. But don't make it a rule. Don't add something. There's a new rule. Everybody has to do this. Everybody has to do that. Everybody has to do this. Or nobody's allowed to do this. Nobody's allowed to do this. Make up some rule. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's practical rules in a temple, in, in any kind of organization. You may say you have to show up for your service at 8 o'clock in the morning or this or that. That's not. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm on the Shastrik Advisory Council, and it's kind of my one of my things. You can say something else. You want to say something else? <laughs> Come on, I think I grow. Not while you're on the desk. Go just go right ahead, please. No, it's okay. You sure? Yeah, it's just, there's so many. If you think I said something wrong, you go ahead and correct me. No, 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 it's not that. I mean, yeah. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask. It's just that, obviously, you know, Prabhupada also 
did things that uh, were clearly not in the Shastra. Thank you. 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 Thank you.